Awesome, 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 awesome. Okay, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel. And we're going to be starting this morning at verse 16. And I'm, I, I know that one of the faults that I have sometimes is I spend too much time recapping from the, the week before. And, and that's just because as a, as a teacher, I'm always so concerned about making sure that everyone understands where we are. And sometimes I can take that to a bit of an extreme. Um, so let me keep the recap super short. The first 16 verses of chapter 7 is recording a vision that was given to Daniel. And it is a parallel dream or a parallel vision, just like the one that you saw all the way back in chapter 2, right? And in this particular vision, now if you remember in the first vision that Nebuchadnezzar had 67 years prior to this chapter, right? Remember that? 67 years ago. Um, he sees this image about these future world kingdoms. There's five of them. It's really simple. He says Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then whatever that last one's going to be at the very end of the age, right? That one's still kind of a mystery to us because we're not there yet. Well, when we come over to Daniel chapter 7, it's the same picture, but it's using different images. It's the same story, but it's using different images. So he sees these four beasts that come out, right? And the first one's like a lion, has wings, but the wings were plucked and it was made to stand up like a man, Babylon. And the second one was like what? Anybody remember? The second beast? Bear. Okay, and, and that one is akin to Medo-Persia because you remember it was raised up on one side. So Medo-Persia, one's bigger than the other. That's the picture, the image. The third one was a leopard that had wings, which was a symbol of the swiftness, which pointed to Alexander the Great with the Grecian kingdom. And then there was this great, terrible beast um, that in the Daniel chapter 2 was the two iron legs, but in Daniel chapter 7, it's a great, terrible beast, and it has how many horns? It has ten horns, just like the ten toes back in Daniel chapter 2. And if you follow the chronology of world empires, we know that the beast itself represents Rome, but the ten horns represents an extension, a final last days extension of Rome in some way, shape, or form that we don't fully understand yet. Just like in Daniel chapter 2, you have the ten toes, which is that final extension of the two iron legs. Are we all together on the same page so far? Okay, good. There's the recap. See, I told you it would be quick. So that's what he's shown us in the first 16 verses, and this is the dream. Now, what's going to happen is Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is going to come to Daniel, and he's going to give you an interpretation. Amen. It's wonderful, but here's the problem. He gets to the end of the interpretation, and Daniel says, I still don't get it. And guess what? You're going to get to the end of the interpretation, and you're going to say, I still don't get it. <laughs> right? Why is that? Because the nature of prophecy in and of itself means that you are most likely not going to understand the full extent of that prophecy until the time occurs. Does that make sense? That's why he told Daniel, seal up the vision of the prophecy of this book because the things that are written in pertain to what? The latter times. The latter times. So in other words, you're not going to be able to understand the pictures fully until you are arriving at the event itself. Now, I personally believe, you don't have to agree, but I personally believe that we are beginning to arrive at the event. I just do, I just do. And for many other reasons, we'll share as we get more into this. But let's start off at verse 16, and let's just read together. And I'm going to start reading, and we'll pass around the microphone in just a moment. If anybody has a burning desire to read Scripture, let me know, and I'll give it to you, okay? Verse 16, so I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all of this, the four beasts and the ten horns and the little horn that rose up. And that's the one that we're going to focus on, by the way, this morning. Because in the days of those ten horns, remember, there's another little horn that rises up. And this is the final world leader 
that is going to lead a persecution against God's people. Guess what? That includes you and I. So it's important that we hear these words. So whether we're the generation that goes through these things or a future generation that goes through these things, we have to understand that God gave us this in his word because he wants us to understand it. He wants us to understand that there are difficult days that are coming toward the end of the age, but praise God, hallelujah, once you get through that time, that will be the time of the return of, the, of Messiah, and that's when everything will be made right. So let's get into it. I approach one of those standing there. <clears throat> this is an angelic being. He's in the midst of this vision. And I asked him the meaning of all of this. And so he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will possess, or excuse me, are four kings that will arise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High, who are they? That's us. That's us and Jewish believers in Christ, right? Holy people, Jew and Gentile together. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. And to that the church said, Amen. Amen. Can't wait for that. Verse 19. Verse 19. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast. So Daniel is so interested in this last one. The other three he kind of gets. But the fourth one really kind of rocks his world a little bit. He says, I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left, that trampling other foot. Remember, that was the same picture in Daniel chapter 2, the trampling other foot. Now, from this point on, this point on to the very end of the prophecy, Daniel is going to concern himself with one thing. He is terrified of the little horn. The little horn bothers him a lot. Why does it bother him? Does anybody know why? Yes, Pam. Okay. All right. And the reason why Daniel is so terrified with this little horn is because for three and a half years, this little horn is given the freedom to do whatever he wants with God's people. He can sift them as wheat. Okay. This is what is recorded in the Old Testament as the time of Jacob's trouble. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 as the time of the great tribulation, okay? So he's terrified of this because he sees what this ruler is doing to God's people. He's killing them left and right, okay? So from this point forward, yes, sir? That number comes up a lot. Three and a half? Three and a half. Can yeah. You, can you talk about that? We're going to get to it. Okay. We're going to get to it actually in, in very shortly. We're going to get to it, and I'll, I'll, I'll address that, okay? Okay, so let's, let's look at this. So from this point forward, verse 20 on, he's going to zero in like a laser on this little horn, and we're going to learn a little bit more about him. Look at verse 20, and uh, if I could have a volunteer, I'd like to have a little help reading this morning. Anybody? Max Dan, God, she beat you. We'll go next on you. Test, test. Uh, let me get back to my notes. Uh, 20 through something. Hold on. Don't do that. Don't wake up. Get some coffee. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you, Lisa. All right. I had my coffee. That's why I'm so chipper, right? I had my Coke this morning. All right, if you would, read verses 20 through 22.
Very good. Thank you. So again, he's retelling this, but what is the thing that really bothers him the most? It's verse 21. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and was what? He was winning. Okay? This is, this is Adolf Hitler 2.0. Everybody follow me? Hitler 2.0. Okay. Um, now, that mouth again. Again, there's, there's several facts about this little horn that we've already covered up until this point. I'm not going to go back and read all the scriptures, but let me summarize from all of chapter 7 what we've learned so far about this little horn. Number one, it comes after the ten horns, right? The ten horns happen when? At the time of the return of Christ. We just read it right here. So this little horn arises after the ten. Well, who's the little horn? People, now listen, this, this is what is popularly talked about today as the Antichrist. You've heard that term, right? Now, when I say that in a church of Christ, people get scared out of their minds because they think that I'm teaching a doctrine called premillennialism. Okay? Premillennialism is the belief that there is a rapture of the church, taking out of the church that happens prior to these events right here. Okay? I want to make sure that I'm clear. I'm not teaching a doctrine of premillennialism. Okay? In terms of the idea of a rapture, I don't really have a solid view of that. Okay? But what I have learned over the years is that, is that there are certain aspects of that teaching that are absolutely true. And one aspect of that teaching, when you go back to the Hebrew and when you go back to the Old Testament, is that there is coming a time toward the very end of the age, right before the Messiah returns, that there are going to be ten kings that will arise. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not going to sit here and try to... I mean, we could conjecture. I could tell you who I think it's going to be, but it's not really fruitful, right? Because it doesn't happen yet. So... From our standpoint, what do we need to know? Well, that one day these things are going to happen. One day there's going to be a great persecution. It could come in our generation, but what should we do to prepare for it? Right? We should always be living ready. Yeah? Prepare the next generation. Prepare our generation if it happens and the next generation because you know at some point it's coming. Right? And, and this is the thing that worries me so much about the American church because regardless if we are in the last days... I fully believe that the American church is going to come under persecution in our lifetime. I believe that America is declining. It just is, guys. Uh, not only just what you see in the politics, not only what you understand biblically speaking about how God judges the nations when their sins have reached a certain point, but also the many dreams and visions that people are having today about America. Okay? So regardless, you and I have lived in a pampered, privileged, wealthy position and we have never had to suffer real persecution, ever, in this, in this nation. So knowing that these things are coming, what do we need to do to shore up our faith and be prepared? You know, if somebody comes in here with a gun and points it to your head and says, do you believe in Jesus? If, I, if you say yes, I'll shoot you. Are you ready for that? See, we have to be ready for these types of things, okay? Being a Christian is not easy. Uh, it's, it's, we're called to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, take up your cross. Well, sometimes that means you really are going to have to take up a cross. Amen? So we've got to be ready. So let's go in this. So, it, so the first thing we've learned is that the little horn comes after the ten horns. That was in verse 24, later in verse 24. They were in existence. Uh, they were contemporaneous with him. He comes up among them. And at some point, he uproots three of them. 
And again, my conjecture is because they don't go along with his plan, right? So he asserts himself and takes over three. Um, so he uproots three of the ten. Number three, he's intelligent, right? Because it says that this little horn has the eyes of a man. Eyes in Scripture is a symbol of insight, right? Remember when you saw the cherubim? And it says they were covered with eyes inside and out, right? What does that mean? Well, if, if you think about that literally, that's a grotesque, scary <laughs> picture. It's not the little cute baby cherubs flying with the little wings, you know, oh, pinch their cheeks. No, 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 no. These things are terrifying when you look at them. And it says that they have eyes inside and out. The, the eyes is a picture of insight, of wisdom. Well, he has insight. He's got wisdom. Look at, verse, look at the number four. Um, it was arrogant. It was boastful. And now, from what we just read, there's a couple of additional facts that are given to us. Number five, he will prevail against the saints of the Most High, and he will overcome them. Revelation chapter 13 is talking about the same beast. And when you look at Revelation 13 verse 7, guess what it says? The beast will overcome the saints. There is a period of time where God is going to allow the enemy to overcome the saints. Now you might be wondering, why is that? That's a question for another day. That's a deep question. So in the end, this final boastful, arrogant world ruler, it says, will be judged by God. And if you want to read that in Revelation, that's also Revelation 19 verses 19 through 20. Um, okay, look at verse 23. Would somebody be willing to read 23 and 24? Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will, be, it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. Okay. The spear of this coming world ruler, this, this fourth kingdom, will be how big? How big is this kingdom? Whole world. You heard people talk about new world order, <laughs> right? This is it, okay? This is what we're talking about. Um, it will be a, a ferocious conquest in which that, that kingdom is going to trample and crush those who oppose it. And it's a, it's a coming one-world government of some, of some sort, a one-world dictator, very much like Hitler. Hitler is a good picture, guys, good picture. So out of this kingdom arises another one after them, diverse from the others. And um, would you, Roxanne, would you go ahead and read verse 25 since you have it? Mm -hmm. And he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the, the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. There you go, James. We've arrived. <laughs> okay, so now three additional facts have been given to us about this little horn. What are they? Number one, he will oppose God's authority. He will speak against God most high. Okay, That's why in the New Testament, John calls him Antichristos. He's not the Christos. He's not the Christ. He's Antichristos. He's against Christ. But anti actually means instead of Christ. But it actually turns out it works fine because he's also against Christ, right? He's anti-Christ. He's anti-Christos. So he will um, oppose God's authority. Number two, he will oppress the saints. Number three, this is interesting. He will introduce a whole new area, era where he will abandon all previous laws and institute his own system. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, okay, so let's talk about time, times, and a half a time. This is fascinating. Really quick, uh, this period of time, 
Time, times, and a half a time. Let me give it to you in quick form. It's three and a half years. Time is a reference in Hebrew to one year. Times is a dual. You've heard me talk about a dual before, right? Um, it means two. Okay, in Hebrew it's two. So times, times, that's three, and a half of one time is three and a half. It's interesting because this period of time, this three and a half years, is talked about several places in the Bible. Let's read them really quick. Time, times, and a half a time. Somebody turn over to uh, Daniel 12, verse 7. We're going to get a little ahead of ourselves. Daniel 12, 7. And the, who's, who's got that? We're going to do hands. Okay, you've got Daniel 12, 7. I want somebody else to read uh, Daniel 9, 27. Who's got that? Okay, Daniel 9, 27. Um, somebody read Revelation 11, 2. Who's got that? Augustine, you got it? Yes, sir. Good job. <laughs> Revelation 11, 2. Then who's got Revelation 13, 5? One more. Okay, you've got that one. And I think that's it. Let's see. Did I give somebody Daniel 12, 6? Did I give somebody 12, 6? Okay, Lisa, you got that? Or, no, you got it? Yes, if you would, just read them both together. Okay. And I gave someone Daniel 9, 27, right? Okay. All right. So let's start with the first one. Somebody read Daniel 7, 25. And I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, and as he raised his right hand, his left toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. That was 12 7, wasn't it? Yes, 12 7. Okay, good. Can you read 6 also? Uh, please. 12 6. And, the one, and one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long. Will it be until the end of these wonders? Right. And then he says time, times, and half a time. Yes. Okay. Um, let's do Daniel uh, 9.27. And he will make a firm covenant with the, with the many for one week. Stop right there. One week in prophetic terms is seven years. It's a week of seven years. In Hebrew, it's called the, the um, uh, come on, you guys know it. I've done forgotten the term because Khan talks about it all the time. The Shemitah. It's called the Shemitah. It's a period of seven years. Sandy, you know that one too, the Shemitah, right? Okay, go ahead. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. In the middle of the week. So if you've got seven and this guy comes up and he puts a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering, how much do you have left? Three and a half. So it's telling you that when that happens, that's the beginning of the three and a half years. This is exactly what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 24. He, they come to him and says, will you tell us the sign, the sign of your coming? What's going to be the sign? And he gives you all kinds of general signs. He says, but there's one thing. When this one thing happens, know that that three and a half years begins. What's the one thing? The abomination of desolation, the putting into the sacrifice, right, at the temple. Okay, keep reading. Sorry, okay. I, I jumped on you. <laughs> and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until complete destruction, one that is, de one that is decreed is poured out, and the one who makes desolate. Okay, very good. That's the guy. This is the guy. This is the one we've been talking about. This is the, the world ruler, the little horn. He is going to change laws and times, and he is going to start a persecution that nobody's ever experienced before. Okay, stop right there. Any thoughts or questions? 
Matthew 24, it's our theme verse for the, for the series, Let the Reader Understand. Okay, let me go to it really quick. I don't have it in front of me. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, which is what you just read, right? Standing in the holy place, and then Matthew interjects, let the reader understand. You know what that means? That means, that means Jesus just dog-eared a prophecy for you that unravels the whole thing. And if you want to understand Bible prophecy, then you've got to go back to the book of Daniel and let the reader understand. Well, guess what? That's what we're doing this morning. Amen? Amen. Excited. Okay. Uh, Revelation eleven twelve. Who has that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, sorry about the mic. Yeah. Revelation eleven twelve. And then 13, verse 5. We'll go ahead and queue up the next one. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies watched. Is that it? Watched them. Yeah, that's it. I must have misquoted it. Doggone it. Read Revelation 13, 5, would you? Skip over there. Oh, it's 11.3, isn't it? Isn't it the next verse? I think it's the next verse. And Revelation, can you, I'm sorry, would you please go back to Revelation 11? I think I gave you 11.2 and I meant... 11.2 Huh? 11.2? I think it was chapter um, 11, verse 3, is what I meant to tell you. And I will grant you authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. Okay. So these two witnesses, these two witnesses, I'm not going to try to get into who these two witnesses are, but it's telling you that when this three and a half year period starts and this person is persecuting the Christians, there are two prophets that are going to rise. Man, how long, how long has it been since we've seen a real prophet? <laughs> a real prophet. So two prophets arise and they are allowed to minister for how long? Well, that's not what it said. I mean, but it is. 1,200. 60 days. Who's the mathematician in here? Divide it up. It's three and a half years. It is. It is. But it's just spoken of in a different way, right? Okay. Uh, Daniel, let's see. Revelation, so that was 1,000. Okay, Daniel 12.6. Who had that? Did we already read 12.6? No, we didn't. Daniel 12.6. Yes, we did. That was Roxanne. I'm sorry, guys. And then Daniel 9.27. Okay. So four times in Scripture this time period is talked about. Let's go back to Matthew 24 and let Jesus tell us about this time period, James. That'll help us a little bit. Let's go to Matthew 24. Verse 1, Jesus came out of the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings unto him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? And truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now understand, what specifically are the disciples asking Jesus about? They want to know when the final kingdom is coming. They want to know when that stone that's cut without hands is going to come, Daniel chapter 2, and smash the feet and take over all the kingdoms and the kingdom of God will rule the earth. He says, when's that going to happen? 
And Jesus answered and said to him, See that no one misleads you. And by the way, let me say this to you, church. See that nobody misleads you too. Because I hear Bible prophecy teachers all the time, man, selling their books on TV and all this stuff that they're doing. And every time there's an earthquake, guess what? It's a sign of the end. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus tells you to watch out for. The very first thing he says is don't be deceived. And I think that's one of the things that you see going on everywhere today is people are being deceived left and right about these, about these ideas. Look at what he says. He says, don't let anybody mislead you because many will come in my name saying I am the Messiah and will mislead many. Have you seen that yet? Stop there. Well, earthquake, civil turmoil, I get that. There's a lot of other things that you might say are signs of the times. But have you seen people stand up and say, I'm Jesus? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. But when you do, and you see the rest of these things, that's the sign that he's talking about. Keep going. He says, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it, you're not frightened. Those things must take place, but that's not yet the end. See, he tells you, that's not it yet. These things are going to, that'll be the beginning of birth pains, right? For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Various places, there's going to be famines, earthquakes. And by the way, a little tip, what he just read to you is the first six seals of the book of Revelation. Literally, if you take the book of Revelation, chapter 6, and line it up with Matthew 24, one seal, two seal, three seal, four seal. He just went through the seals and you didn't realize it, did you? It's amazing. Yes, ma'am. Yes, you do have people who have, uh, what's his name, uh, David Koresh, you know, was one, um, the, the Branch Davidians, you know, that the whole thing. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there are not crazies who jump up and, and do this kind of stuff. But the scale of what he's talking about here is, is think of the Muslims announcing that their Messiah has arrived. Think of the Jews saying, our Messiah has finally arrived. That's, that's world-shaking stuff, right? That's the kind of thing he's talking about here. Okay, keep reading. For nation, okay, uh, beginning of birth pains, verse 9. They will deliver you to tribulation. There's where we get the word from. And they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name because of being a Christian. This is the three and a half years that's talked about. Keep reading. Verse 10. I'll come back to you, Pam. Just one second. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures until the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. This is why we preach that there is going to be a final outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. The book of Acts chapter 2 was a picture It was a foreshadow. It was typology. Do you realize this? What you saw in Acts chapter 2 was a shadow of greater power and anointing that is going to come before the end. How do I know that? Because of this verse right here. It says, but the one who endures until the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Then the end will come. That goes right along with Joel chapter 2 when he says that that final outpouring of God's Holy Spirit will happen when? Before the great day of the Lord. Before the great day of the Lord. Okay. Pam, you had a thought? Matthew 24? And just the whole chapter. whole thing talks about it. Okay. James, does that help with the three and a half years? So the three and a half years begins with the abomination of desolation. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. How in the world is somebody going to put an end to sacrifice at the temple when there's not a temple? What does that tell you? 
We are the temple, but this particular temple is in Jerusalem. This one is in Jerusalem. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2 really quick. We've got to read this before we end. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a very neglected portion of Scripture. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where Paul himself tells us about this final world leader and what will happen during this time period of three and a half years. Look at it with me. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered unto him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching alleged from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. See, somebody had told them, you missed it. They spiritualized the day of the Lord as if it had already happened, and that concerned them. And so Paul's writing to correct this. And he says this, verse 3, Don't let anybody deceive you in any way, for that day, what day? The day of the Lord, that day, will not come until the rebellion occurs. Remember, Jesus told us that too. He says in Matthew 24, there's a great falling away that happens at that point, right? When this person rises. Why is there a great falling away? Well, listen, let me tell you something. When somebody rises to power and says, if you believe that Yeshua, Jesus is the Messiah, we're going to cut off your head, that's when you separate the men from the boys. <laughs> to use an old analogy, that's when you realize who the wheat and the tares are, right? Because the wheat are going to give their necks up and say, I don't care what you do to me. You can kill me if you want to, but I will not say no to my Messiah. But the ones who truly don't believe, they'll say, okay, fine. So when he arises, there's a great falling away. So he says that day, the day of the Lord, will not come until the rebellion occurs. And what happens next? The man of lawlessness is revealed. The man that is what? Doomed to destruction. James, what did you read in, in, just in a moment ago when he talked abomination and desolation? He says until what? Until the desolations have been poured out upon the desolator. Right? Same exact thing. Go back to uh, 2 Thessalonians. He says, um, verse 4, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything called God or that is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, this is a man. He can't set himself up inside of you. Now, his ideas can be set up inside of you. But what this is referring to is, apparently, there's going to be another temple in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It just, it's just is. The Jews right now, Sandy, how close are the Jews to having their temple? In the natural, but have not all the implements have pretty much been recreated? It's all there. The Temple Institute has already rebuilt everything to build this temple. In fact, they've already built prefabricated walls that are sitting aside in a warehouse, and the only thing they're waiting for is the political climate to change with the Palestinians. The red heifer, yes, ma'am. Yeah. No, apparently not. What happens is, apparently, the Jews, and this is conjecture, okay, because this hasn't happened yet, but conjecture is that there's going to be something that will happen in the Middle East. Well, guess what? There's always stuff happening in the Middle East, right? I mean, right now, we did, remember when Trump was doing the, the Middle East peace deal? Well, guess what? That thing's still going on regardless. Biden is still working on the same deal that Trump started. They're still trying to bring uh, a division in Jerusalem and make two capitals, Okay. Well, what if part of that agreement later on down the road is going to be, hey, listen, we'll split Jerusalem in half. We'll give you half of the Temple Mount. We'll build the Jewish temple and you can have the rest. I could totally see that happening. But a point somewhere along the way, 
these, these sacrifices start up again, and this figure arises, and when half, about halfway into it, he puts an end to it, and he launches his wrath against God's people. And it's a worldwide thing. Okay, Let's finish this up, and we're going to stop, because I know we went over. Look at verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what's holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. The person holding him back, by the way, is, is, is Gabriel, the angel. I can't get into that right now. Why? But that's, that's who's holding him back. It's the war in heaven, if you will. Now, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Don't know. I have no idea. Wait until we get to Daniel 11. <laughs> Daniel actually reveals, believe it or not, Daniel actually reveals the very place where the Antichrist will rise from. He does. He reveals the place where he arises from. If you want the short answer, he arises from the territory that was once known as Assyria. Okay? Once known as Assyria. But we'll get to that later. Let's finish this. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. In all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. That's last days, guys, last days. Okay, I know we're over. Does anybody have any questions, thoughts, rebuttals? Anything you want to throw at me? Yes, ma'am, Pam? Pay attention? Yeah, okay, good. All right, guys, we're going to stop there. I can't wait to see you in worship service. God bless you. Enjoy your fellowship for a few minutes.